And you're very welcome along to the gardening programme for this final Saturday, our final gardening programme for the spring-summer series, at least, Paul. Yeah, we'll be back in the autumn again, back in September again, but we'll break for Warwick. <laughs> a busy old 60 minutes or just under between now and 10. Well, it's, it's uh, hard to believe, I was only thinking this morning on the way up, that we started the programme in March talking freezing. about wet, wet weather, heavy, you know, frost, or, you know, hailstones, snow at that time of year. If you remember, people, mm. you know, trying to put potatoes into the ground and all of that, and it was horrendous. Wet weather and moss. Yeah. <laughs> I remember all the phone calls What's we the, had. Where's moss. that then? Where's that moss gone? <laughs> and how things have changed dramatically in, in three in months. Three, yeah, it really you know, is extraordinary. It's not nature at its best. So it's been an extraordinary spring and, and early summer. And to think that uh, we're just after saying that uh, temperatures not as hot, but still 26 to 28 yeah. degrees. When and, do we ever get to say things like that? And the that? weather, you know, yeah. nearly warmer than Spain yeah. during the summer or during the week. Um, but look at our, uh, it, the weather's continued to, to stay dry for the next 10 days certainly there's no sign I know there's some showers mentioned but it's only minor <coughs> and soil temperatures or soil deficits in moisture deficits are running about 80 millimetres at the moment uh, probably less here on, on the west coast probably 40 millimetres mm. so we are seeing certainly you're seeing it with the lawns are beginning to show a little bit of stress so particularly around the edge of lawns uh, because grass grows in kind of four to five inches of topsoil so that's obviously going to be the first area we're going to see plants beginning to wilt slightly I noticed on the way up willows willow trees I was out for a cycle Dro- during the week a bit droopy yeah the willows if they're in full sun because again they're very surface root- yeah. rooting you'll possibly see it on cherries so those trees that where their roots are close to the surface of the soil they'll be the first to show signs of um of drought uh, but look at it you know and, and i met lots of customers during the week where they're out watering every evening and it just is not necessary so you know particularly for standard trees and shrubs that are in your garden for several years they've got enough of a root structure to tap into the, the moisture that's down deeper then, you know, six to eight, 12 inches, there's moisture, plenty of moisture still there. So if you're doing watering, my advice is to water every second evening rather than every evening. Don't be out sprinkling the plants. Water the soil, not the plant. So if you've got plants in the garden, newly planted hedging or trees or shrubs, water the soil. Don't be sprinkling it up on top of the plants. And give a good heavy soaking because the, the soil acts as a reservoir. It holds the water like a storage heater holds heat. And it will re- release the water back to the plants. But overwatering, funny enough, can be a very common feature mm. at this time of year because people are literally just putting on too much water and the plants will respond by rotting away. Now, if you've got plants in hanging baskets, wind boxes, containers, again, every second day is enough. Um, so when I say every second day, I mean that for containers or newly planted trees and shrubs. For things that are in the ground, you know, for more than six to eight months, you don't need to water just yet. And lawns really shouldn't be watered because it's a waste of water. The grasses that we have in our lawns come from the prairies, come from the the savannas. They're used to hot, dry weather. Yes, they're going to go brown, but they're going to come back again. So, you know, once we get back to wet weather, which we will have, the, the lawn will green up again. So don't be out there sprinkling your lawn and keeping it uh, you know, because a hose ban has been issued in it Dublin. Has. And it'll probably be issued. I'm sure certain local authorities will look at their own reserves and uh, yeah. make those decisions. So I suppose it's probably just um, maybe com- being a good citizen or well, whatever. It's bit, to, to, and it's yeah. a bit of common sense. Yeah. And certainly if you've got tomatoes, they're going to require some watering. You can recycle water from the house. So, so water that you're using oh. for boiling the spuds or boiling your carrots or using for domestic purposes, as long as it doesn't contain any bleach, if there's 
suds and, and soap in it, like washing up liquid mm. or whatever. That's perfectly usable on plants. And if anything, it'll actually wash the aphids and green fly off the plants as well. Right. Soap is a natural pesticide. Um, so, you know, you can use water, obviously, if it's, once it's cooled down. You can recycle water that you may be using in the kitchen and so on. But look, at focus the watering on your plants and containers, your window boxes, your fruiting plants. Water every second day at most. And uh, remember that you can for water plants. I met a lady yesterday in the garden centre and herself and the husband are out every evening <laughs> watering I was saying to them and you could see the relief on their face when I said you don't need to be doing that because they're out hand watering. So, so just be careful. Look, the plants will tell you when they need watering. Ebb on the side of slightly under watering. I check my window boxes and containers by lifting them. So get into the habit of actually being able to lift the plant. Okay. So that's... lift it and that's the plant will let you know by the weight of the compost, of the soil. whether it needs. So if you've got hanging baskets, shove your hand up underneath them, give them a, a, a hoist and you'll know whether they need uh, washing or not. So look, be careful about that. Um, the other thing I would recommend is in the cutting of lawns, we tend to be, at this time of year, shaving back the lawns. If you leave your lawn a little bit taller, two inches, three inches higher, so don't cut it as often and let the grass grow slightly taller. That helps to stop evaporation from the soil. So if you're leaving your lawn very bare, naturally the sun is beating down on that and it's, it's, it's taking the moisture out of it and it's putting the grass under greater stress. There's a heavy dew at night time which gives the grass a bit of a drink. So you'll a, see the a, 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 a bit of a bit drink. Of a drink. <laughs> so you'll see it on the foliage in the morning but certainly don't be shaving the lawn back because you're exposing the soil to the actual um, to, the, to the sunlight. It is great weather for preparing soil. So for listeners that want to put in, I said this last week. If we have a bit of digging to be done. Well, if you've got a bit of, say, you want to put in a new lawn or repair an area or a bit of digging exactly and cultivating, then the soil can be worked early in the morning, obviously, or late in the evening. Um, but it's, it's great weather for getting soil prepared uh, with a view then to sowing lawn seed later on when the weather actually does change. Fantastic weather for hoeing rather than using sprays. Get out your garden hoe. Remember the... the, the, the um, the, whole, the, the most important gardening tool that I have in the, gar- in the shed is the old wolf hoe, which I have for 10 or 12 years. It's a stainless steel hoe that has a blade on the front and the back. So as you push and push it, glide it over the soil, the surface of the soil, it cuts the weeds. It's a fantastic implement at this time of year because within an hour, the weeds have withered up. So, and it, and it's, a, it's a really, very really sharp. Um, so if you're looking for a really good hoe, the one that's made by wolf, is a particularly good. It's German med, um, fantastic. Uh, it's got a long handle on it, a really good one. I can highly recommend it. But this time of year, the scuffling up of weeds, um, you get a great kill from that in particular. Um, mulching of beds as well. So putting mulch, like bark mulch, onto mm. the surface of, of trees and shrub and beds will again help to keep the moisture in. So you're stopping the sunlight getting onto the surface. And will limit the, the weeds, presumably, a little bit it'll as well. Help the, it'll yeah. stop the weeds as well. Of course it will. Um, so, so mulching is a good idea as well. We chatted about roses last week, and I think, look, this is the time of year for planting them. They're absolutely exquisite they look everywhere fabulous. at the moment. The other thing that struck me during the week, I was, uh, in the evening time, sitting in under a couple of the trees that I have in the garden. And I thought, what a great thing to plant a tree 
with a view to providing shade. Now, it's not going to provide shade tomorrow for you. You're, you're very optimistic <laughs> for like, in the long term, are you? But I thought it was, you know, it's something we probably don't talk yeah. enough of. But you'll often see people looking for advantage points to park their car. Or do you, yeah, or I notice animals that are out. Exactly. Uh, like, the, you, you'll know dogs and cats uh, not really interested in this uh, hot sunshine and no. they're, look, they're looking for a spot. Farm animals yeah. as well. Yeah. So the planting of trees, I have a couple planted in the lawn area and, and, and group them together, silver birch actually, uh, three or four of them grouped quite closely together. They're only planted maybe six feet apart, but they create this lovely area for shade in the evening time um, or even during the, su- the middle of the, su- the day as well. So the planting of trees certainly, and again, leave that until the weather changes. So look, they're the kind of key things to keep an eye out for. I brought you in two plants as well that I thought yes. would be in certainly in line with the weather we're with getting. Weather, Mediterranean yeah. plants. So one of them comes from Greece, and this is a, a basil plant, a plant called basil Aristotle. Now, so just to, to explain to listeners, this plant doesn't look like our traditional, I suppose, which is probably Italian basil, is it? That, yes, it that, is. That we tend to... The shop-bought. The shop-bought one basil. that does, uh, that, you know, that's hard to, to, to keep sometimes. Everybody has the same problem mm. with that. And, and a lot of the reason is because the shop-bought basil is forced and it, and it is more difficult for us to grow. And a shelf life. Yeah. This is a variety, if you're looking for it in your local garden centre, look for the variety called Aristotle, Basil Aristotle. If you love basil, as I do, particularly for summer use, right through the summer in Italian dishes and spaghettis and all of that, it's a fantastic herb. But people find it very difficult to grow. This is a small leaf basil. The leaves are very similar to a boxwood. They're tiny and they produce them in literally hundreds. And the plant, like a boxwood plant, grows in a perfect ball. So I have this on, on my own kitchen window at home, um, and at the moment, it's certainly a foot in height. It's a foot in diameter. And you can trim it as much as you want. It throws on new growth within days. Yeah, and you can see a little bit coming there to one side. Yeah, and it's a perfectly, it makes like a perfect shrub or small bush on the windowsill. So it's a really, really easy variety to grow. Um, it doesn't fall apart like the Italian basil. And this is the one to grow uh, if you want to grow easy basil. It's so, got a fantastic smell, fantastic flavour. You don't even have to touch the plant to get the scent from it on a bright, warm windowsill. Um, but you with a sharp scissors, you simply just trim the foliage, use it then for any dishes. You can freeze it, you can make pesto from it as well. Use it in the traditional way. I think it's got actually a stronger smell and flavour than the Italian basil. So it's a variety called, it's a Greek variety called Aristotle, named after the great Greek philosopher. Mm -hmm. And um, I find it so simple to grow. Again, watering it maybe every second to third day in the windowsill. And I water it from the bottom. So I have it sitting literally in a saucer and just give it a half cup of water. When I'm heading out the door and that's it. And again, it's a plant that I lift to judge it. So you can, that one actually is very well watered. So this is one I brought from the garden Mm. centre last night. So that one has plenty of moisture in it, won't need watering for another two or three days. It's also a variety you can grow out of doors in a sunny windowsill, uh, on a window box or in a container as well. So you keep it out of the wind, but if you had a bright, sunny little south facing area, it's perfectly um, happy outside as well. But I keep it indoors in the kitchen. It's there ready to use. But if you want a really easy basil variety, Aristotle is the one to And I to just, I, I really like the look of it because it is neat and tidy, even though it does grow uh, fairly quickly and significantly. Yeah. Um, but there is an elegance to it, I There think. is, yeah. yeah. It's like a small so, little... Yeah. So, so it kind of will, will fit in aesthetically into the yeah. kitchen as well as everything else. And it's the sort of plant that if you give somebody a leaf of it, it the first thing to say is, oh, wow. Yeah. Because <laughs> you get that it's, lovely it's, basil yeah, scent There's, a, there's a real it. basil scent. Yeah, so that's together. one to look for out for. Aristotle, mm-hmm. if you find, if you like basil, 
and you, you want an easy variety to grow, that's the one to grow. You, it won't certainly fall apart for you. And will it last over? Right like, through. I mean, are we, we, does, well, it, it, does, it, does it have a shelf life as such? Yeah, basil is, basil is annual. Mm. Um, now, having said that, you'll probably have it up to Christmas inside in the house. Um, and again, it propagates. You can actually grow it from seed. Um, so you can propagate it and, and grow it on mm. again um, or just get a small plant again next spring. But you'll have it the whole summer. It's pr- the easiest variety of basil to grow. To grow. Yeah. So, as you know, as long as you just keep to the basics with yes. it. And the other plant I brought in, again, just kind of keeping the, the summer theme, I brought in some chilies because this is the time of year to plant like chilies yes. in, in the garden. And you can see they're just coming into flower now. This is a variety called Apache, which produces lovely uh, bright red uh, chilies. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly kind of August, early September, it'll start to produce lots of, of fruit on this plant. Probably the end of July, really, August onwards. Um, so it's flowering at the moment. Again, you just simply plant it into a large pot. Again, keep it in your patio windowsill. It's not going to grow very tall. At the moment, it's probably a foot 15 inches in height. It'll stay something similar in height and it'll bush out and produce literally loads and loads of chilies. So um, hot flavoured if you like it, yeah. Good, good nice and, okay. nice and bit of a kick. Yeah, a bit of a kick is this in, in Apache. Yeah. So there are other varieties as well within that range, but they're available for planting now. And um, will it, will it uh, yield many fruits? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can see already the amount of flowers yeah. that are on this plant. There's probably up to 20 flowers. So the plant will produce probably 50. 40 or 50 chilies. Yeah, wow. it, con- it continue to produce them right through till November sort of period. So again, you can pick them in the green or you can let them grow to that, that vivid red colour if you wish. Um, so again, chilies and peppers, they're the sort of plants we're planting at the moment. The basil, the basil certainly. And garden herbs in particular, they love this Mediterranean type weather. Put them in window boxes and containers. They're lovely for summer use. And does it, take, use. does it take the chilies long to come to full fruit as such? Um, well, from these flowers, yeah. we're now at the end of June. I would expect these to fruit by the end of July. Okay, and, so, oh, right. Oh, yeah, so, within a month, enough, within yeah. four weeks. And as as the plant produces new growth, it produces new flowers and hence new chilies. So it continually produces, a bit like a tomato plant, mm. it continually uh, produces new uh, new fruit. The tomatoes are doing really well at the moment. They're beginning to ripen, actually, in, in lots of gardens, particularly for people that have planted them early. Little tip for people, if you like bananas, when you finish with the banana skin, yep. put it around the base of the tomato. And it helps to, um, it's full of potassium. Mm. So your tomatoes, the, the plants will produce beautiful green leaves and it helps with the fruiting of tomatoes. Tomatoes, because that, so, that, that, yeah, so potassium is Potassium the thing is that important, yeah, anything with high potash. So it's a great way of using and recycling. Great idea. Your, uh, so literally just drop them at the base of the, on top of the compost uh, where the tomato is growing and that'll help to green it up and help and it to, to fruit, fruit better. better. Okay. So there you go. Yeah. Excellent, tip you. excellent tip. <laughs> <laughs> so they're the sort of things to be doing. So really, look, it's a, it's very much a kind of maintenance uh, at the moment in keeping, obviously, the plants that are fruiting watered, flowering plants water them every second to third day. And, um, you know, a certain planting, you can still plant hanging baskets and window boxes if you wish for a bit of colour later on the season. Uh, but also the Mediterranean herbs and things like chilies, it's a good time to plant them now.
Fantastic. Uh, one picture in, well, actually a couple of pictures in relation to plums, but I know you were saying as well, apples, etc. Yeah. Uh, we have a fair crop. It's been a fantastic okay, year. Okay, that's there we go. <laughs> Let's start with that. <laughs> Not just a fair crop by any means then. But some, some fruit like pear trees suffered this year, all right, because they flower very early in the season. So back in March when pears were in bloom, the honeybee certainly wasn't out. But by the time we hit April and May, the apple trees were, first of all, they flowered brilliantly this year and secondly the insects pollination were out very very busy so for people that have apples in their garden they should be loaded down with fruit at the moment and the same applied with plum trees and damson trees and lots of fruit and and a very good set and this sort of sunny weather the the fruiting plants just relish it so that's why they're covered in 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 loads and loads of fruit now an important thing happens at the end of June and we're right at that the cusp of that period at the moment a thing called June drop where trees, fruiting trees in general, abort about 20 to 30% of the fruit. So you often go out one morning and you'll see lots of fruitlets dropped at the base of your apple tree and your plum tree. And that's a natural occurrence. The tree itself is shedding some of the fruit because it knows it cannot produce too many fruit. So my advice really is to leave that happen, which is going to happen in the next week to 10 days. So about the first to second week of July, go out on your to look at your fruit trees and thin out any heavy, any branches that have lots of fruit, thin those out yourself. So leave it for about another two weeks, go back out with a sharp scissors or a, or a clippers and just remove. So on each cluster, mm-hmm. on each branch, you should have no more than maybe four to five fruitlets because otherwise the plum tree will try to produce all those fruit. Some of the fruit will be of an inferior quality and you'll end up having branches that will break. So the weight of the fruit will carry the branches and break them. And then everything will suffer. Everything. And what will actually happen the following year is that the trees will skip a year of fruiting. So they'll fruit, try to fruit heavy this year some branches will get broken. Some of the fruit will, will be still very juvenile and small and worthless. So you're better off to thin them. And that happens normally about the middle of July is the time to do that. Now, the other thing I, I, I'd advocate, if you have fruiting trees or plants in tubs or containers, make sure that they're well watered. So recycle some water and put, put that on. Watering in the evening time as well, I should have mentioned that, is better than watering early morning or midday <clears throat> because you're giving, there's obviously less evaporation. Mm. The, the, the plants have got at least six or seven hours to absorb that water and the soil. So you're better to water in the evening time, seven o'clock, eight o'clock in the evening and let the plants soak that up in the com- on the soil, the compost, soak that up before we get into the heat of the following day. Um, so certainly fruiting plants, yeah, leave them alone for another week or so then go out, check them, thin out the fruits, thin them down and um, and then continue to wash them, particularly if they're in tubs and containers. Okay, yeah. okay so are there many are too many plums for this young yes. tree? The answer is yes. And yes, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay, we've got somebody with rhubarb gone to seed. What do they do? Well, that's, <clears throat> that's just... Is it that time of the year? Spartan. Well, it's, it's that and it's also the drought because um, rhubarb needs copious amounts of water. When you think when you're cooking rhubarb, how much liquid is actually in the plant. Um, so plants, if they come under any form of stress, and obviously rhubarb is because it knows it's not getting enough moisture, it's going to run to seed. So all you do simply do is remove those seed heads. So follow the, it's a flower stalk that'll come up through the centre of the rhubarb plant. 
get out your secateurs, your clippers and cut it at soil level. Um, so that's all you can really do at the moment. Um, you know, just rhubarb is that type of plant. And you'll find that with many plants, if they start onions now would be another where they're growing very close to the surface of the soil, when they get baked in the heat, they tend to run to seed. So generally what you find is when plants actually physically stop growing mm-hmm. due to the heat, because they're not getting enough moisture, because they're not producing new leaf, the plant triggers itself to produce it's flowers. So and that's what's happening with rhubarb. And that's what's happening with roses, for example, at the moment. That's why they're so good at the moment. They've actually mm-hmm. kind of slowed down the growing and they've triggered into flowering now. So that's, they're in flowering mode. And we find that with lots of vegetable plants, cabbage can go to seed, broccoli can go to seed, cauliflower can go to seed, onions, and um, lots of plants can go to seed when, we're, when they're lack, lacking in moisture. And that's just what's happening with the rhubarb. Now, it doesn't really, it's not going to upset the plant long term. It'll mm. still be perfectly fine. It's just putting all the energy into producing flower seeds. So cut that, cut those stems off. Um, so, Anna, it's a, but has it finished fruiting then for this year? It, it has. has. You, shouldn't yeah. be ha- you shouldn't be harvesting yeah, rhubarb after this now. You want to let enough of the energy go back into the root. So leave it alone for the rest of the season now. Now, I have a Portuguese hedge that has stopped growing and looks sickly with yellow, dull leaves. Any idea what's wrong? Yeah, so that's on Portuguese laurel. Mm-hmm. That's... Um, that's downy mildew so it's a form of mildew we often talk about powdery mildew which is a white mildew that comes on the leaves of plants this is downy mildew it's kind of greyer in colour it causes that yellowing and particularly Portuguese laurel um, is susceptible to it so two things here you know and again it's a, it's a little dry at the moment but ideally the listener should feed the plants at the next opportunity put on something like the Osmo uh, Pro 6 a tree and shrub fertiliser okay. at the base of the plant that'll push some energy into the Portuguese laurel and secondly put on a fungicide so again something like a fungus clear will prevent and kill off uh, powdery mildew on or downy mildew I should say on um, on the Portuguese laurel so where you see that kind of sickliness yellowing of the foliage stunted growth that's a sign of downy mildew. So feeding and some fungicide will control will will stop that. Yeah. Now, should I water my weeping willow leaves? Are looking a little dry and brown. Well, if uh, willows in particular, like I said at the start of the program, they are because they're surface rooting. Mm. So trees that have that surface rooting, and and really what's happening with plants at the moment, the leaves are withering. The the tree is going to sacrifice those leaves to to protect the rest of the tree. So it's not like the willow is just going to die because of lack of water it'll actually shed all its leaves it'll go into dormancy as if it's winter time and it'll kind of close down now if the the dry weather continues for a long period certainly the the, the branches will start to suffer as well so look at if you can spare some water for it give it give it a drink drink. that'll help Uh, now can you suggest some evergreen flowering shrubs about three feet high for the back of a flower bed Okay, evergreen. Um, well, there's, there's lots of great plants. Pittosporums are lovely at the moment. They're lovely foliage colour. So there's a lovely variety called Tom Thumb, which will grow to about two, two and a half feet in height. It's got lovely uh, purple foliage. It's green and purple all in the one go, which is which is really nice. Um, three feet high. There's a dwarf variety of Fotini, actually, uh, which is lovely. It's um, like the common Red Robin, mm-hmm. but it's a dwarf variety that only grows to three feet in height. It's got, again, that lot red foliage and green foliage, that alternate foliage. Some of the Pieris, Pieris Ketsuru, has, again, lovely red foliage again at the moment with evergreen leaves. Um, Fatsia, the spider's web, I've I featured that plant before, 
big big leaves variegated holds the, the leaf all year round my advice really is pop into your local garden centre um, it's probably not the best time of year for planting or, or weather conditions at the moment for planting new plants bit, because of the dryness dry. yeah um, but certainly you could get by getting the soil ready getting the bed ready for planting and then as soon as the weather breaks get some pop into your local garden centre get some plenty of shrubs at the moment ready for planting now I'm admiring the beautiful roses in lots of oh, gardens this June is this a special year for them uh, says the listener can I plant some climbing roses now and do they need any special care well, it's a special, uh, certainly 10 days with all the heat that we're getting. And that's really what the roses are responding to, the really, really good weather. Um, so continue to deadhead roses, continue to um, keep an eye out for the bugs uh, as well with a bit of rose clear. Um, you can st- certainly plant, but obviously you need to water if you're planting new roses. So again, good climbing varieties. Um, you've got varieties like climbing Iceberg, climbing Arthur Bell, Bantry Bay, is a lovely one, Dublin Bay, which we featured before, yep. was a lovely um, red variety, Albertine. There's some great climbing roses available. And look at if you can water them, you can certainly plant them because they're available in pots ready for planting now. Uh, now, somebody's also wondering on the roses front, Spanish roses. Uh, can Spanish roses grow and bloom in our climate? They can, of course, yeah. I mean, ro- roses come to us originally from China. So they've, they've been bred all over the world. Um, as long as you get, um, we tend to get that. I mean, some years it can be quite difficult, like last year where it was extremely wet and, and roses dislike that. But where we get this sort of heat, um, roses really enjoy uh, our Irish conditions, particularly for the last couple of weeks anyway. So yes, you can grow Spanish varieties. All varieties of roses do do well here. I just Somebody says, uh, doing a great job with the advice park. Spare a thought from my arms that have stretched about four inches lugging buckets of recycled water <laughs> to, to my garden every night. The neighbours smile in a sympathetic, benign fashion as they walk past. I hear you. I'm, 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 I'm hauling that myself. The only thing is, I feel it's good for the muscles. It it's is good absolutely. For the upper body. And, and people are fantastic that go to the effort of using of recycling water yeah. and taking water. But it, isn't it great to have that? Uh, like if you have butts or whatever, and water they've butts. Been, yeah, they've yeah. been collecting water over a period. Now, half the time, I suppose in Ireland, we don't really need to use them no. a lot. But at times like this, it's great because oh. it means that you know you don't have to be cu- pulling on the main supply. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, that's great. Anyway, yeah, you'll have look at a little bit of <laughs> a, tone, a little bit of tone and sculpt in there yeah. as well for for good measure. And won't the vegetables and everything taste so much better? Won't the fact that just. you've done all of that that hard work. Now, uh, what to use to control cabbage flies and also carrot worms from both the cauliflowers and my Brussels sprouts? Um, what to, uh, I'd like to use something organic. Yeah, well, one of the best treatments at the moment is is actually a garlic based treatment. Um, it's uh, it's sold from memory as uh, root fly treatment, I think, or root fly control. It's sold in a little white bottle. I can visualise it. <laughs> There's a picture of the carrot and the cabbage on it. But it's uh, 100% organic. Um, it's made from garlic. It's a concentrated garlic spray. You mix it with water. You apply it to the cabbage and to the uh, carrot. It'll actually keep off the caterpillars as well. So it's very effective at both root fly control and um, general pest control as well. Um, so that's that's quite good. It'll be available in your local garden centre. So it's lo- root fly control, if memory serves me right. So it's specifically for cabbage root fly um, and carrot right. root fly, which will be knocking about at the moment. You can use it inside in tunnels in the greenhouses or out in the garden soil. You can also use the nematodes as well, which again are a very natural way of controlling. Okay. No, it's probably, it's actually a bit dry for them at the moment. So maybe stick to the, the, uh, the uh, organic garlic 
root flight control, that's probably a better one. Just administer it through a washing can onto the, the, uh, onto the foliage leaf. and root of the plants, yeah. What to do with strawberry plants that have finished fruiting? Oh. Uh, the beds are full of clover weaves, says, weeds, says Tom in okay. Castlebar. Because strawberries are fantastic at the moment. They're is it, a bit, is it a, bit a bit early for them to be It's a bit early for them to nearly be finished. Now, there are early varieties. Some varieties will fruit earlier and, and they are f- ripening earlier simply down to the, the very warm weather. And maybe Tom might have them inside as well. If you have them in a tunnel or greenhouse, they're going to be so, so much earlier. But basically what you do is once you harvest the fruit from strawberries, you cut everything back. So you cut the runners and the foliage completely back. So again, get a sharp scissors or secateurs, cut them three to four inches above soil level. Um, If you can, give them a liquid feed and that'll encourage some new growth. So you're getting rid of all the old stems, the old leaf growth Mm -hmm. and the plants literally are starting off again. So they produce a whole series of new growth and on that growth then they flower and fruit the following summer. Summer. So tidy the whole thing up, stop them from producing runners, give them a liquid feed if you can and they'll be back into growth. They'll be absolutely a, a ball of foliage by the end of July. Can Porrick recommend some bee-friendly plants to plant in my garden? Oh, there are so many to, to plant. The, 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 look at the basic thing with, with uh, providing for bees is, first of all, look for plants that have small, single flowers. So things like Toniaster, which produces tiny, tiny little flowers. I call it the bee plant because when you go to Toniaster when it's in flower, <clears throat> it hums of bees. It literally hums of bees. You'll always get bees on that plant. And it produces lovely red berries in the autumn. So small, single flowering plants. Plants like pyracantha do really well. Whitethorn is loved by bees. Anything in the apple family. So flowering malice or anything, apples themselves are, are brilliant for it. Look for plants that are going to flower at different times of the year. So the bees are foraging from late February, early March, right through to the feed on the ivy in November. So having plants that flower, if you have everything flowering in June, well then the bees will only visit your garden in June. So try to have plants that flower at different times of the year. So plants that flower in the springtime are things like flowering redcurrant, forsythii, the single flowering clematis, clematis montana. Um, at this time of year, it's things, plants like uh, dutzias, the single flowering roses, not the double. So things like hydrangeas or double flowering roses, the beautiful blousy roses are useless for bees because there's too many petals on the plant and they can't get down to the pollen Oh right, and the nectar. So they act as a barrier the They petals. act as a barrier. So single flowering plants if you can. Um, a great plant called Phacelia which you can grow from seed. I often talk about it. It's mm-hmm. a blue flowering Phacelia. It's a green manure you simply chuck it on the ground. It grows it flowers. It's covered in bees. Um, so my advice really, I have a list, um, probably if you go onto my website, horkins.ie on the blog page, I've written many articles about looking after bees in your garden. So you get lots of plants listed there um, and many can be sown from seed. Many can be planted for as trees and shrubs, trees as well. We often forget about trees. Yes. Lime trees produce a huge amount of nectar and pollen for, for bees. So there are lots of really good trees and shrubs. But the basic principle is to try and get a bit of variety into your garden in terms of flowering at different times of year and also try to select plants that have small, s- single 
blooms. That's what the bees like, full of pollen, full of nectar. That's basically what they're collecting from the flower. Uh, we were talking there about the strawberries we and <laughs> I didn't notice Forrick but, uh, it's your job, dear but dear. listeners noticed that you didn't address part two of the programme uh, the strawberries that have uh, finished fruiting uh, there's a lot of clover around them yeah. what are we doing with the clover? Well, Thank you uh, clover, clover first of all clover is a nitrogen fixator so it actually is adding nitrogen there to your strawberries and giving them a little bit of a feed um, look at if you want to get rid of the clover you can simply just hoe it out there's no point spraying around the base of your strawberry plant so my advice get out your gar- get, get out your wolf hoe oh. and give it a scuffle and the clover will die away and we're seeing lots of clover in lawns at the moment you often see that with clover it actually relishes this weather when you get dry warm weather the poor old grass suffers and the clover starts to sure. bloom everywhere now it's a great bee plant as well remember that so clover is is fantastic for bees so it's not doing a whole lot of harm to the strawberry plant so if you can live with it leave it alone would be my advice to be honest okay. and let the bees work away on it you can always treat the, the clover later on in the season um, but if you want to get rid of it then you get out your garden hoe and just hoe it away and, and that'll and it's that's surface rooting yeah as well now we've two eating apples one cooking apple tree and a plum tree and there's not a single apple or plum on them this year they're 10 year old trees usually fruit well the trees are very healthy would you think that the birds took the buds in spring because it was cold well bullfinches will bullfinches will feed on flower buds um, they relish them apples in particular now having said that it would be very unusual that's for be all gone. That they'd all be gone, exactly. Now, as I said at the when we were chatting about the um, the plum tree, some trees, particularly if they if they fruit heavily in a particular season, will actually just skip a year. The tree, because it has borne so much fruit, puts all its energy into producing new growth and new leaves and new stems in the in the second year following, or in the year following the um, the heavy crop. So it could be just that that it's taken a rest a year, it's mm. taken a year out and just relaxing because. You know, apples have done well. Now, the listener does say the apple tree is on its own and generally apples are better planted in groups of twos or threes of different varieties for cross-pollination no, purposes. Well, they have two eating and oh, one, sorry, one I, cooking. All right, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm not listening. Right, look, that's fine. So they've yeah. done everything right yeah. there. Look, at it's... Uh, it's all, and if they've been fruiting for, for other years, the trees are obviously just having a rest period. It would be very unusual for bullfinches to completely clean... <laughs> the um the trees uh so so i you know they'll certainly feed on some of them in the springtime but they're not going to remove Move every flower from the plant it'd be interesting to know did the trees actually flower well this year was there lots of flower okay. uh, you know yeah, because see, most apple trees did they flowered where, brilliantly the bees came out yeah 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 you need the you need the flowers to, obviously to encourage the bees to do the pollination and we need the bees in there as well um, so I say Duke of York and Satanta at the end of April. When will they be ready to dig out? Well, April, you, you know, April, so we're, we're, we're at the end of June. It's probably a tad early. I would check the Duke of York because Duke of York is a first early. If they've been flowering, so if you notice flowers in the plants, then they're ready for harvesting. So my advice is go out with the garden, fork, dig up one plant, have a sneak a little preview. Yeah. See what's little there. Little taster. Yeah, I've I planted up uh, some in a, actually in a in a big old pot and put them on the patio, and they've just started to flower. And I checked them there during the week, and they're about the size of, they're bigger than an egg, so they're kind of. And I'm kind of thinking, will I? Yeah. Won't I? <laughs> will I'll I just have a taste. Will I tell anyone? <laughs> 
<laughs> so I'm going to leave them another week yeah. and um, because with this heat uh, you know, they're, they're going to come on now potatoes too when they're when they are um, at this time of year they do need to be watered so if you can give them a sup of water um, you know they can be affected particularly if the ground gets very dry in terms of the yield so they do use a lot quite a lot of water so if you can recycle some water and put them on the, that would be fantastic um, so look at what I would do is just check Satanta won't be ready until later until uh, late July early August is normally the time for Satanta it's a main crop variety an absolutely brilliant variety it's, it's the daughter of the rooster potato it's a lovely red skin with white flesh blight resistant really easy variety to grow but that's not going to be ready for harvesting till later so Duke of York is the first one go out and just test dig up one plant just see what's there Okay, you might be lucky now is it too dry to treat the lawn with feed and weed absolutely stay away from it at the moment don't go feeding your lawn don't. I had a question actually during the week about sulphur of iron should I put sulphur of iron on my lawn <laughs> There'd be no lawn left at all oh, if you do. So, uh, look, at no feeds, no, you know, just stay off the, you know, keep the lawn, mow it, you know, every every 10 days at the moment and really stay off it apart from that. There's, don't feed it. Don't put sulphur of iron on. You know, okay. don't do anything with it till the weather changes. Hang tight. Hang tight, exactly. Is this a good time to plant climbers? I have a large gable wall to plant and would like some evergreens and also flowers. Yeah, well, climbers are sold, sold in containers, so certainly you can plant them at this time of year. I mean, the key thing really is, again, you need, just need to wash them after planting. Um, but yeah, it's perfectly good time of year for planting. Evergreens, you're thinking of things like climbing ivies, which are great because they're self-cling, they're there's a lovely variety called Gold Child or Gold Heart, which is really bright foliage. Pyracantha retains the leaf in winter. It flowers, it buries. It's a fantastic bee plant, which is quite nice. The Cotoneastra I mentioned earlier is, is lovely as well on, on walls. And there are evergreen varieties of those as well. And um, there's evergreen varieties of Clematis, of Hydrangeas. So there's lots of good evergreen plants. So look, pop into your local garden centre, have a chat with them about what's available. But as long as you can water them, you can certainly plant. Now, I have a 10-year-old bonsai tree. The leaves are going yellow and at the ends. Where can I buy compost and feed? Is it hard to get bonsai? I suppose uh, not everybody has them No, then. it's a specialised uh, product. You're generally looking for a compost that has a soil base, either a, a specific bonsai compost or something with um, a soil in the compost. So a John Innes type compost, uh, number two or number three John Ennis would be quite good. So it's very much a soil-based compost for reponting the bonsai. And yeah, it, you know, after 10 years, depending on what variety of bonsai, bonsai is the art of keeping plants small. So it can be an oak or an ash or a sycamore. It could be a Japanese maple. It could be an indoor plant. So it's, um, it's the art of actually keeping them smaller. So pop into your local garden centre, look for bonsai compost or a John Ennis-based compost, which is a soil-based compost and now is as good time as any for re, re uh, potting them. A good idea when you're, whilst you're repotting them is to trim the roots to tidy back the roots, prune them back as you would the branches. Does that assist in the art of keeping it, it small? It does. It helps to keep them small and by pruning the roots, it's like pruning the top of the plant, it gets the roots to reshoot again so they produce small little fibrous white roots rather than those strong tap roots so you're, you're literally cutting off some of the, the root structure and the plant reacts by producing a whole series of new growth to which it'll absorb. It's better at absorbing the uh, nutrients. Uh, during or after the last storm, um, I had a lot of damage in the garden, heathers and bushes. About 50% of them affected on the windward side. Yeah. And Hector, was it? 
Hector. Was it Hector? Yes, it was Good Hector. Old Hector. It was yeah. Hector yeah. And I see it, I look at it, I see it in my own garden in the things like Japanese maples were <clears throat> certainly scorched on, on the windward sides. Lots of plants were. Look, at it's only a bit of scorching because the, the wind came at a time when there was lots of young growth on the plants. They're more sensitive and that's the young juvenile foliage mm. being just turned just brown, just scorched. They'll grow back out of that again. The dry weather isn't helping. <laughs> You know, yeah. so we'll we'll have to wait for a bit of moisture and moisture. heat. And, and once you get that, if you feed them, they'll be perfectly fine again. It's Cl- only short-term damage. Clematis are wilting, but they are watered. Well, it could be overwatering. <laughs> right. Right. That's one good thing point, just, to be, care- point, just yeah. to be careful of. The other thing that clematis can suffer from is clematis wilt which is a wilting of the foliage. So the plants can be growing perfectly it's a, it's fine. It's a condition, is it? It's a, it's a disease. It's right. a, like mildew or like um, like rust or any of those. Uh, you can get a thing called clematis wilt, where the plant literally just wilts, all the stems wilt and they die back. Mainly susceptible on the summer flowering varieties like Jackmanii and Dr. Rupal and, and those. Um, so if it's that, so if you feel that it's not, you're not overwatering the plant, um, and that it is clematis wilt, then my advice is to cut it back to ground level. Okay. It'll reshoot again and it'll perfectly fine. To prevent the clematis wilt, you can use a fungicide like Fungus Clear, which will prevent it from happening. So generally speaking, it's a good idea to put on, a bit like your roses, to put on a little bit of preventative treatment with clematis varieties. Only the summer varieties, those that have been flowering in April and May, varieties like Montana or Montana Rubens, the lovely pink single flowering, they're totally hardy. They're not. They don't suffer from clematis. Well, they're a lot more robust. Or some of the evergreen varieties like Armandii, <clears throat> which again flowers in the springtime. It's got evergreen foliage. They don't suffer from clematis. Well, so it tends to be the summer varieties. Doctor Rupel, um, Jackmania, those varieties that flower from June right through to the end of the summer. Spinach has gone to seed. Can I cut it back? You can, but you've probably you've probably lost. And there are a couple of different varieties of spinach. So you've got perpetual spinach, which comes back year after year. It tends to be a coarser, stronger uh, tasting spinach. You've got annual varieties or biennial varieties that you sow in the previous year, they grow this year, and then they die away. So it depends on the variety it is. But spinach is reacting a bit like the rhubarb to the warm weather, and it's going to seed because of the heat. So my advice really is to trim back the seeding. Uh, shoots, cut those back anyway. Even cut some of the foliage back. It'll regrow again. It will need some watering to do that and um, to get it to fluff, produce new foliage again. And you can wait and see what happens. <clears throat> but it, it will depend on the variety as well. Now, uh, have you any plans to deter flies in a house? Well, the the plant that we, we mentioned... We have featured this uh, we have before, the, yeah. The uh, lemon-scented geranium um, called orange fizz. Orange fizz. I was calling it pink fizz. Yeah, that's orange fizz. That's a drink, isn't it? Yes, a pink I think fizz. it might be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bit early for that. We'll uh, stay with the orange fizz. So orange, well, orange fizz is actually fantastic in drinks. Remember that. Okay, it's great in gin and tantan. Yes. So the leaves are highly scented. The smell of lemons, um, even though it's called orange fizz. So it's got that citrusy smell, um, which, you know, flies dislike. Um, basil, to a certain extent, mm-hmm. flies dislike that as well. Now, it's not going to keep the whole house free of um, flies. flies but it will help with, yeah. your, with the windowsill um, you know, just thinking about it now where I have this plant sitting in the windowsill there, it's on the kitchen windowsill little or no flies Okay, interesting. so it would be one, one to try so the basil plant or um, uh, orange fizz 
geranium or orange fizz. Make sure it's that variety and you'll know, you'll know it when you go into the garden centre because when you if you just touch the leaf, you'll smell the really intense That's citronella smell off the leaf. Yeah, you can't miss it. Yeah, yeah it is lovely. Um, we bought a beautiful standard rose in the store in Turlock a few weeks ago. We've noticed two new growths near the base. What do we do with them? You prune them off straight away. So go out today and remove them. They are basically the the suckers, the shoots coming off the stems. So when you buy a standard rose, you're literally buying two roses, one that has been grafted about four feet high. So anything underneath the main rose, you remove. And young standards will always throw out some suckers during the the, uh, summer period. So, yeah. Treat it exactly like you would an ordinary rose. Deadhead the flowers. Give it a a liquid feed. And... um, put on a little bit of the rose clear just to keep the bugs away and remove any of the side shoots any of those suckers now I've lilies growing in a border that are being attacked by something they're only newly planted and what should I do well look it depends on on, um, what's attacking them it could be slugs and snails at night time it could be something like vine weevil just taking a few notches if the damage isn't too bad I would just leave them alone Um, just enjoy the lilies they're quite robust they're easy to grow they are a perennial they come back year after year so a small bit of bug damage on the leaf is of no harm to the leaf if it's very destructive maybe go out at night time and just see are the snails being paying it a visit they probably are uh, when will my October planted onions and garlic be ready for harvesting most of them are falling over at yeah, the moment yeah they're ready how they're often ready. do I need to water them well look at they're ready for harvesting oh, now so these are the Japanese onion sets and they're high, I always highly recommend people plant them so you plant them in the autumn you plant them in September October early November garlic and the Japanese onion sets they grow through the winter period uh, right through the spring and they're rev- ready for harvesting now in June so the plant is falling over it's telling you to lift me please out of the ground and this sort of weather is brilliant for harvesting Japanese onion sets because the dry matter will be quite high don't wait for the rain to come dig them up now dry them off properly and they make fantastic onions uh, to use now right through the summer and they'll store right up to November remember to replant again this coming October and if you think how bad the winter was Mm. And yet this listener is telling us they've got a crop of garlic and a crop of Japanese onions. I mean, these things grow irrespective of the weather. Snow, frost, rain doesn't knock them back. Okay. uh, Finally, somebody wondering, we have veg gardens every year, but usually plant earlier. Didn't get around to it this year. Is it too late now to put in cabbage, carrots and Not at all. No, and I made this point last week that, you know, we're getting great temperatures at the moment for the sowing of seeds of all the salad crops, all the winter cabbage, the savoy cabbages in particular could be planted now. Purple sprouting broccoli, kale can be sown from seed or there may be plants in your local garden centre. So pay a visit to your local garden centre. They tend to have vegetable plants available at this time of year or there's lots of seeds that you can sow if you sow a packet of seed today mm-hmm. it will have germinated by next Saturday Okay, that's soon <laughs> Yes, yeah. with this sort of heat absolutely no problem, now you need to water it obviously yeah. but I mean you're only watering a very small area but with this heat, there's so much heat in the soil now, it's like putting them on top of a radiator, they're just going to germinate so rapidly, so continue to sow seed of carrots of all the vegetable plants can be sown at this time of year, even herb plants you can sow the seeds of oregano and marjoram and all of those seeds can be still sown at this time of year wallflowers 
flowering plants, winter pansies. Okay, there's, there's, the, the, <laughs> there's list, no the list is kind there's of endless. There's no excuse. Okay, well, Park, we're going to have to leave it there. So we'll Just to, to say to people, I'm actually in the garden centre later on today. If people want to drop down between 12 and 5, I'll be there if they want any questions answered in Turlock and Castle Park. In Turlock and Castle Park. Back in September again. Back in September, sure it'll fly Let's do by. it all again. Yeah. Park, thanks a million thanks, for uh, all of the advice and information over the last number of months and opportunity now for everyone to put it into practice myself included uh, that's it for me I'm not here with you next Saturday Viv Brennan is going to be uh, in the seat I think setting the clock early back the following week though uh, until then have yourselves a great weekend and for later on the very best of luck